the referendum day. It's the EU referendum. So just a reminder, if you think you'll be traveling down to Windsor on that day and you feel you would like to exercise your democratic right to vote in that referendum, you have just, I think, a few more days to get a postal vote. Is that correct? 6th of June. So you really need to be on it. If you feel I would like a say in that fairly significant debate that's going on in our nation, then you need to apply within the next few days so that you can cast your vote by post if you think you're going to be travelling down to Windsor to the conference that day. Catherine is looking at me like she would like to add something. They open at 7am. There you go. You could vote. And, of course, it's a privilege to be able to do that, so I'm not making any political comment whatsoever, just saying if you want to vote, make sure you can do that. And the best thing, of course, we can do is pray that that, uh, we get the right decision at this time for our nation because it's not just for now. It's for future generations to come, and it's going to affect much more than just us here now today. It's quite a historic thing, really, isn't it? Anyway... With that um, said, I'd like to share something with you today out of the scripture, and I want to read to you from Mark chapter 14, and it's going to come up on the screen so that you can follow through as I read it, and then we'll give this time to the Lord. So it's Mark chapter 14. Is it going to come up? It is. Here we are, Mark chapter 14, verse 1. It was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could with what she had and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. So why don't we just stand and pray right at the start of this message Father, today we are going to do exactly what you said we would do. We're going to remember this story, remember this woman. We're going to discuss and talk about it. And right now, we open our hearts to you. We open our hearts to your word. We open our hearts to your presence. Holy Spirit, will you come and, as it were, take your highlighter on this message and highlight the parts that you want each one of us to get a hold of today, Lord. In all that we speak about, I pray that there'll be highlights for us, Lord, that will stand out and touch our hearts and change our lives and capture our hearts more for you. So we offer ourselves to you right now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can sit back down. So we're going to do exactly that today. We're going to remember this woman and what she did and talk about her. So here's the scene. The passage tells us it's just before the Passover, one of the most significant events in the Jewish calendar. And Passover took a lot of preparation. It was a big deal, kind of like Christmas is to us now, I guess, in that people prepared for it ahead of time. They had to uh, prepare food. They had to travel. People came to Jerusalem to this festival from all over the Jewish world at that time. It wasn't even just Israel. They came from Greece and Italy, and they, they, they came long distances to come to this festival, and it's just two days before it's going to happen. And Jesus is in the town of Bethany, and He's eating a meal uh, in Simon's house with his disciples and various other people. And John's gospel makes it clear that this is the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So I'm going to call this woman Mary, even though this 
passage doesn't actually give us her name because I guess we're supposed to really remember what she did more than what she was called. But so that we don't, sort of, I just don't keep saying she, I'm going to take her as being Mary from uh, John's Gospel. Well, what did she do? She interrupted this dinner party pretty dramatically. <laughs> she didn't really wait for the coffee and the mints and all the niceties to come around. She kind of burst in on the scene, went straight on in, carrying this jar of precious perfume. She broke it open and she tipped it all over Jesus' head. And it tells us in one of the other accounts that she actually took her hair and wiped his feet with it. And what was that about? Can you imagine that happening when you were just kind of having dinner with a whole lot of people and in bursts someone and does this? Well, in those days, perfume would have been an investment. That's why it's significant. It would be like having gold or diamonds today or money in the bank account today or something like that. It was an investment. And we're told that this perfume was worth a whole year's wages. Now, I don't know if you know what the average wages were in the UK last year. I have the figure right here. And if I say it, of course, some of you are going to feel quite sort of pleased with yourself that yours is higher than this, and some of you are going to feel hard done by, and so I don't know whether to say it or not, but apparently the average wage last year in the UK was £26,500. There you go. So this, uh, that was an, that's an average year's wages here, and we're told that this jar of fragrant oil was worth an average year's wages. Now, do you know what the most expensive perfume is in the world today? Would you like to have a guess? Dan thinks he knows. Dan thinks it's by Chanel. Jen's going to go with Chanel. This is a chance for all the guys to show that they know the names of expensive perfumes. So if you don't, you're going to be in trouble. No one's actually said it. I I promise I looked this up. So I'm I'm, I'm kind of smug because I know the answer. Doug thinks it's Dior. We've had Chanel, Dior. No one's mentioned Marks and Spencer yet. But anyway. I don't know. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll put you out of your misery. The most expensive perfume in the world today, the perfumier who makes it, is called Clive Christian. There you go, Clive Christian. I kind of wish my Clive Christian had made it because he would be very rich. Because (laughs) this perfume, I will tell you, it sells for, it's called Imperial Majesty, Imperial Majesty, and it costs in dollars $12,721.89 per ounce. Smell. <laughs> About £9,000 for an ounce of this Imperial Majesty perfume made by Clive Christian. So you, your average year's wages would buy you a three ounce bottle of this fragrance guys if you're thinking of splashing out at Christmas on your beloved it makes your eyes water doesn't it three ounces of perfume is not a big bottle there's a bottle in my handbag where's my handbag you can find a bottle in there just to kind of you know there you go it's not Clive Christian but I liked it thank you hun um that that's about a three ounce bottle it's not very big, is it? Okay, so three ounces of this perfume would cost you £27,000. It'd have to last a bit, wouldn't it? You would hope you wouldn't need very much. So she's got this jar of this fragrant perfume. Sorry, I've moved the microphone. Can you still hear me? And uh, it's got nard in it. I don't know if you've ever heard of nard, but nard is this oil, this aromatic oil, and it is only found in a few places in the world. And you have to go to the Himalayan foothills and dig up the root of this plant, and it takes a substantial amount of the root of this plant to collect it. Now, it only grows in the foothills of, like, Nepal, China, India, and um, it starts growing at 3,000 feet. And it grows in that little sort of corridor between 3,000 and 5,000 feet. And for your kind of reference, if you like, Snowdon, which is the highest mountain in England and Wales, is 3,000 feet-ish. Is that right? About 3,000? Roundabout. 
And so this starts growing at the top of Snowdon-type heights. So to even get to where it grows, you've got to climb up the height of Snowdon and gather this stuff. And you need a lot of it to extract eight ounces of the essential oil. So that's why it was so expensive in its day and prized, because she didn't just go around the corner to Superdrug or Boots and get this, you know. It took a lot of effort to get this perfume. And often a jar like this would have been in a family for generations. You would have kept it. It might have been used as a dowry when a woman got married to give to her husband. And maybe it was meant to be Mary's dowry when she got married, but she invested it all in Jesus. She could have quite reasonably told herself, I need to keep this, it's my future. This is my future, and it will protect my marriage prospects and hopes the future, but she instead gave it willingly to Jesus. And it was sealed in like an alabaster jar. It's like marble because it doesn't, uh, the perfume can't sort of seep into the stone and evaporate. So it's sealed in this jar and they seal it to stop it evaporating. So once you break it open, you literally break it open by smashing the neck off the bottle. And once you've broken it open, that's it. It's all going to be used. You can't put it back in again and stop the top up again. You smash it and it's all going to be used. Once she broke this open, there was no going back. It was all or nothing. Now, would somebody like to be a little volunteer today? I have no string, no rope, (laughs) no swings, no nice... It has to be a guy. It's got to be a guy. You can do, if you like. Come and you can, you're going to be Jesus, okay? So you can only come and volunteer if you're not going out somewhere nice to lunch after this. And you're not too vain. Why is nobody coming forward? Somebody, need, I need a guy. No, it's got to be a guy. Jared, your reward is going to come in heaven. Because I've done a little bit of research, and I found something which is the nearest I can get to what nard would have smelt like, Okay. So I'm going to help Jared to help you to experience this. (laughs) Oh, it's got in your eye. You better go and wash it. I don't want it to go in your eye. But you've got to go and let people smell it. Is it? Have I blinded him? Oh, no, I've got to pray for healing. (laughs) Because I've blinded him. That's okay. Yeah. Okay, go and let them have a smell and see if anyone can tell what this is. <laughs> come on, come on, you guys. What is it? Is it? No one's telling me what it is. What do you think it is? Talcum powder. It's perfume. No, no, it's not Chanel number five. Come on, some of the older generation should be able to guess what this is. Thank you. It's Old Spice. There you go. If you've never spelled Old Spice, never smelt it, go and say hi to Jared right now. That was the nearest smell that I could get to what this fragrance would have been like. But here's the thing. Eight ounces of this oil is such a concentrated fragrance that you would actually be able to make, with the jar that Mary had of concentrated fragrance, you would be able to make 10,000 bottles of Old Spice. I couldn't do that. That was kind of a bit beyond my ability to bring a visual aid for that this morning. But imagine having 10,000 bottles of Old Spice fragrance tipped upon your head. Yeah, I just put a little bit on Jared's head there, who is a very good sport. Thank you, Jared. Should we give him an applause? He was... Nobody else came forward, and I really appreciate Jared doing that. So why are we talking and remembering this lady today, having sort of set the scene for you a little bit there. And I want to suggest three things to you. Why are we talking about her? Yeah, everyone's now going to move 10 feet away from Jared. (laughs) 
Okay, here's the first thing. This lady was extravagant in her devotion. She was extravagant in her devotion. Now, she was extravagant in that she gave Jesus the equivalent of a year's wages. That is a big amount of money to uh, anoint Jesus with, if you like. And she didn't give it him to build a new synagogue. I think I just lost the... Please (laughs) put it right. (laughs) I could put some allspice on it. (laughs) She gave a year's wages. She didn't give it to feed the hungry. She didn't give it to feed the poor. And there were a lot of people there who were a bit grumpy about that at the time. They were in. It tells us. It goes to the trouble of telling us that they were indignant and critical. And complaining, but notice this, they didn't offer to make an offering to feed the poor themselves, did they? And you know what it is? People who complain about what you do would be better off thinking about what they are doing or not doing. And people often complain when we do things, but actually they don't do it themselves. Just throw that in. But here's the other thing. It wasn't just about money. She was extravagant in her gesture and behavior. She didn't care what people thought of her. She just didn't care. She loved Jesus so much that she didn't care what people thought of her. She didn't care that people thought she was wasting her money. She didn't care that they criticized her. She did something totally unacceptable culturally. If we think that would be a bit of a scandal to kind of break into a dinner party and do that in the day that she was living in, it was a scandal to walk in when the men were eating like that. It would have been just men eating at that party. And she walked in and poured this oil over his head. And in the other account, she poured it on his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And I didn't do that, Jared, sorry. (laughs) I ran out. I ran out before I got to your feet. But uh, this was a scandal. Women never had their hair uncovered in the presence of men outside of their family. It re- I, I can't sort of stress it enough. It was a really big scandal what she did, and yet she didn't care what people thought. She overcame her fear, her embarrassment, her pride, whatever else you can imagine that you might have felt in that situation. She overcame it in order to honor Jesus, and here we are still talking about it 2,000 years after that event. You know, whenever you do something for Jesus, somebody somewhere will criticize you. I promise you, I, I, somebody somewhere will criticize you and, uh, and think you're doing something crazy. We moved house many years ago to go and work in Oxford with Steve Thomas, who was uh, planting a church there. And the way that the prices worked in the two different localities, we left this really nice, roomy, semi-detached house that we could have stayed in for the rest of our lives quite happily. And we had to pay more money to go into a little tiny, pokey, sort of two-up, two-down Victorian terrace that opened onto the street with no drive or, or, or front porch or whatever. And our families thought we were crazy. They just thought we were crazy. They thought, you do not do that. You do not pay more money for a nastier house. (laughs) You just don't do that, do you? But we knew that we were doing it because God had asked us to do it. And we knew that we were going somewhere that God had sent us to go and build. So someone is always going to criticize you when you do something for Jesus. You'll be misunderstood. You'll be misquoted. You will be misjudged. I can just promise you that. Yeah? It's a promise. I give it you. Um, There was a guy in the States once. He was called um, Bruce Thieleman. And has anyone heard of Bruce Thieleman? No, not even Jared or Chris have heard of Bruce Thieleman. Bruce Thieleman was a pastor in Pittsburgh. And actually, he was a really quite amazing guy because he had a particular ministry, not only to his church in Pittsburgh, but he had a ministry to the armed forces. And he would travel around the world ministering to the American forces on various stations around the world. And he traveled to 63 nations. He, you know, he really uh, did have a ministry in that area. But a, a time came, this is sort of not recently, this is 
quite a few years ago when they decided to build an organ in their church. It was a Presbyterian church. And so he built this wonderful organ in his church. It had over 4,000 pipes. Apparently that is very impressive if you're into that kind of thing. And uh, it was going to cost over 600000 thousand pounds something like that about half a million pounds to put this organ into this church and the paper reported on the fact that he was building this organ and what do you think happened he got criticized and what do you think people said they said it's a waste of money you should have well what do you know you could be a journalist on the Pittsburgh Times because that's exactly what people did they wrote in not people going to the church not people who were offering to give the money to the poor instead but all these indignant people who um, wrote in and said what a waste of money you should have given it to the, the poor now you might think well I'm not really into organs and so perhaps I wouldn't have given my money to that either but here's the thing he said we, we are feeding the poor actually we do do that kind of thing but this is an act of devotion to our God, and we're honoring him in it, and we're going to honor him in our worship, and we're going to use this to lift up Jesus' name, and he's going to come first here. And it was a great answer, but someone will always criticize you um, when you do things for God. But we're not doing things for people's approval. We're doing it for the Lord's. And you have to get that. If you're ever going to do anything for God, you have to get that. It says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. And I think Mary had that verse in her heart, even though it hadn't been written then. She understood that what she was doing was not for people, it was for the Lord. And if you want to do anything in your life for God, you need that verse sort of burnt into your heart. I'm not doing this. I'm not stood up here today for you really, I'm doing it for the Lord. When I wash, you know, my dad's in hospital, I'm having to do his laundry. When I do my dad's laundry, I'm not doing it for, so that I'll be, someone will think, aren't I a good person? I'm, I'm doing it for the Lord, actually, because I'm honoring my dad in doing that. Do you, do you get what I, everything we do, we've got to do it for the Lord, not for people, because people will misunderstand us, judge us, criticize us, throw us off track, and if we listen to them, we'll stop. And we'll never really get in fully into the purposes of God for our lives if fear of man holds us back. So remember this lady. That's why her story is here. That's why we're talking about her. She didn't care what people thought. She cared what Jesus thought. Remember, we've been talking about Nehemiah recently, and uh, he had to say, I'm not coming down. I'm staying on the wall, whatever you guys think. Whatever you say about me, I'm staying on the wall. And uh, if you really, really love Jesus, someone somewhere will think that you're a bit fanatical and over the top and a bit crazy and criticize you. And when Mary did this, there were people there who were, it, she wasn't just among friends, there were people there who were enemies of Jesus. They were plotting to kill him. So she wasn't just doing a tremendous thing amongst a little group of buddies. She was doing this in a very public place where there were people, you know, in the sense that there were people around there from all walks and talks of life and people who wanted to actually kill Jesus. And she didn't show her devotion just by quietly following along, leading a good life, keeping out of trouble. This was a bold display of devotion for Jesus. And we need to sit up and think about it, I think. It challenges me every time I read it, because sometimes, you know what, we're reluctant to show our love for Jesus, even when we are together on a Sunday morning in a room like this, where we're all Christians and we all love the Lord, we can be a little bit reluctant to be kind of a bit crazy in showing our love for Jesus. And I guess if we can't, I sometimes think, wow, if we can't be extravagant in our love for Jesus when we're together, it's going to be tricky to do it on Monday morning out, out there, isn't it? So um, let's remember that. She wasn't extravagant because she uh, was in the mood to be extravagant. She didn't wait until she felt like it. She planned it. You would have had to have planned something like this. In 1989, um, archaeologists discovered... Uh, near to the Dead Sea, a flask of ointment. It might have been like this very flask 
it wouldn't have been the one because she broke that and gave it. But a similar flask was found near to the Dead Sea, dating, it dated back to the time of Jesus. And they found it wrapped in palm leaves, buried in a pit in a cave, three feet underground, and uh, deep inside this cave where it would be cool and protected because it was obviously such a valuable resource. You know, maybe this lady had to go and dig up her flask. I don't know. I don't expect she carried all those thousands of pounds worth of perfume around in her handbag. I don't think I would. You know, I don't think she had just had it there in case she wanted to kind of do something with it. She made a decision ahead of time, ahead of time that she was going to show her love for Jesus and honor him in this way. She prepared to do this. And in the same way, we can make a decision ahead of time to be extravagant in our love for Jesus. We can decide to be like that. We don't have to wait until the emotion is stirred up in us um, in whatever way. We can make a decision that we will be extravagant in our love for Jesus because he's worth it. Amen? So she was extravagant in her devotion. And the second thing I notice about her is this. She understood the times. She understood the times. Let me explain this. The passage tells us that this was just before the Passover. And we know, because we've got the benefit of hindsight, that Jesus was about to go to the cross. Okay? We've got the book. (laughs) We've read it. We know that Easter is coming, but they didn't even know that Easter was about to happen They didn't have a clue, and the religious leaders are still busy plotting about how they can kill Jesus, and they're definitely worried about public opinion, unlike Mary. They're thinking, well, we can't do it here because everyone is going to judge us or what have you and what have you. But Jesus knows what's going to happen. He's been dropping hints, actually, for quite a while, and the disciples haven't really got it. He's been telling them that he's got to go to the cross. He's been telling them that he's going to die. And they haven't really understood. And here he is with several of his disciples and followers. And for them, it's just another meal with Jesus. It's just another meal with him. They're two miles away from Jerusalem, two days away from the Passover, when Jesus is about to become our Passover lamb, and be sacrificed for us, and they still don't get it. Now, of course, we would have got it, I'm sure, wouldn't we? I I would have spotted that was happening. I would have got it. But they didn't get it, and yet Mary was the different one. Somehow, she knew that this would be her last opportunity to honor Jesus in this way. If you think about it, she didn't have another chance. If If she'd lost her nerve... And decided, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't, you know, what will people think? If she hadn't done it this day, she never would have had another chance to do this with that precious flask of ointment and oil. It was her last opportunity, and somehow she understood that. She sought Jesus out with a deliberate intent on this day. Do you remember when Jesus visited Mary's home earlier in the Gospels? You remember that story? And Martha, her sister, was preparing food in the kitchen. And Mary went and sat at Jesus' feet and was absorbing his teaching and his presence. Listen, it's not wrong to cook, is it? Someone give me an amen. It's not wrong to cook. (laughs) It isn't wrong to cook. The point was that on that occasion as well, Mary understood the times. Martha didn't quite see it. It's not wrong to cook, but you know what? They should have had sandwiches that day. You know, shouldn't they? They should have nipped out to the co-op and got some sandwiches because this was a wonderful opportunity to sit at Jesus' feet, to be in his presence, and to receive his teaching. And Mary got it, and Martha didn't. And that's why we read that story too. Mary got it right. She knew what to do when. She kind of understood the times and did the right thing at the right time. She stopped everything and sat at Jesus' feet. She made the effort and went and pushed through to honor him in, in this passage we've read. And I believe God wants us to live like that too. He wants you to understand the times. He wants you to be aware of what's going on around you. He wants us to have a spiritual eye and a spiritual ear as we go through our week. He doesn't want us just to be so busy 
and so distracted and everything so fast. It is, isn't it? We live in a very fast-paced world with so many distractions and, you know, and social media and events and everything is super, super busy. We work hard, we play hard, and there are lots of distractions. And it's hard to hear when we should stop and sit at Jesus' feet. It's hard to hear when we should slow down and talk to that person on the park bench. It's hard to hear when we should offer to pray for the person that we're sat next to on the bus. It's hard. But if we really want to flourish in our lives with God, we need to have eyes and ears that recognize those opportunities to love him and to serve him and understand what's going on around us in the spiritual realm. Are you with me? Okay. Listen, I'm quite a simple person, really, and I am simple enough to believe that if you wake up in the morning and you put yourself in God's hands and you ask him to use you and you make yourself available to him, then when you walk through your day with a soft heart available to God, he will use you. He will use you because he's just looking for people to use. That's what mission is about. Mission is about God finding people's hearts that are soft and open to him that he can work through to share his love and his kingdom with other people. doesn't matter if you are in India or in Africa or in America or in Canada or in Newcastle or in Fenham or on Arthur's Hill. That's what mission is. It's about having a soft heart and being available to carry the love of God to people. And if we make ourselves available to God, then I really believe that's how he will use us, and coincidences will start to happen to you. Of course, they're not coincidences. They are God setting you up for things, because he can bring people across your path for you to encourage. He can bring people across your life for you to pray for. You can randomly bump into people that you're supposed to share the love of God with, because it isn't random. Do you... Do you Come on, do we believe this? Do we believe that God wants to use every one of us? Every day, in any way he can get his love out there and his message out there. And we just have to be available like Mary was available. God only has one plan, and that is to work through us, his people, Christians. And nothing, I believe, happens to us by accident. We were coming back from... um, Miami last time, we went over there to visit our son Richard, who's just had another baby. And on the flight back, it was two, we had to fly from Miami to London, we had to fly from London to Newcastle. And uh, the flight in Miami was delayed by two and a half hours. And so we then had like 30 minutes, almost, was it 40? 40 to make our connection in Heathrow, even though they'd made some time up. So we got off the plane in Heathrow, and the British Airways lady was there to meet all these people who's we're coming in sort of two and a half hours later than they expected. And uh, she said to us, just go straight to the flight connections desk and rebook your flight. There is no, no, no point even trying to get on it because it's in another terminal and you should allow 90 minutes to get to that other terminal and you've got, well, probably 30 now, I think we had by then. She said, there's no point, just go and rebook your flight. So we kind of looked at each other and we like nothing but a challenge, me and Clive. I'm a bit competitive and he's a mover. So you put us in that situation and we picked up our cases and started running, which is why you should always wear flat heels on an aeroplane. But anyway, off we went and... Uh, I tell you, it was a miracle. There was nobody at the immigration desk. There was nobody at the security. We, we kind of got to the gate with like a minute before it shut, and we got on the flight. It was like, and I was really keen to be on it because it was Stella's birthday, and I, there was, I wanted to be back in Newcastle for her birthday party. Anyway, so we got on the flight, and we sat down. And you know when you book three, you're two in a row of three, and so you kind of don't, I never look which one I'm in. I just sort of sit and think, well, we'll see if anyone else is in the other one and move accordingly. And along came this guy who was going to be in the window seat, but we were... I was in the middle seat and Clive was on the end. So he said, oh, why don't you just move along if you don't mind? So we all shunt along and he sits on the end here. And we get into a conversation with him. Now, the thing is, we should not have been on that flight. We should have missed that flight. And he said, I don't know why I'm in this row because I was given row, a row back there. And then when they gave me my ticket, I've got this row. So he was not supposed to be sitting by us either. Okay? So it's kind of like a little setup going on here, isn't there? And the end of the story is that we got talking to him. And he asked us what we'd been doing in Miami, and we 
talked about Richard and what he did, and we'd also just done a life languages course, so we talked to him about life languages, and he was exceedingly interested because he's a businessman. And then he began to say, well, where does all this come from? And uh, we were able to tell him about our faith and what we believed and so on. And actually, we're going to go and see him in a couple of weeks' time again and meet up with him again and talk to him some more because he wants to talk to us some more. Well, did God set that up, do you think? Maybe. I think he maybe did because neither of us should have been in that place at that time, and yet we were. And God can do that for you every day, even if you don't know that he's done it and and you, you don't hear the other person's story so much. So please go out of here tomorrow and believe that God wants to use you. And all you've got to do is be just a little bit spiritually antennae up into heaven to get the signal, bzz, bzz, something's going on here, and I'm supposed to be sitting next to this person on this bus or whatever it might be. Yeah? Okay. So she was spiritually aware. She was in the right time at the right place. She recognized what was happening. She saw what was unfolding in front of her, and she took this jar, she smashed the seal, and she poured the oil all over Jesus. By the way, this nard oil, it also uh, gets used not just for perfume. It gets used medicinally. It's used for pain relief. It's used for soothing stress and anxiety. She picked a good thing didn't she? Jared, soothe, chill. (laughs) Jesus said, she's anointed my body for burial ahead of time. And two days later, he was betrayed by Judas, as you know, and arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and then was carrying his cross. And maybe he still had that smell and that fragrance in his hair when he went to the cross. You know, maybe the soldiers could still smell it when they put the crown of thorns on his head. Jesus told her critics, leave her alone. She's done a good thing. And the word good there, it doesn't just mean good morally. It means a lovely, beautiful thing. Wouldn't you love to have Jesus say to you, you've done a lovely, beautiful thing for me today? Wouldn't you love to sort of get into bed at night and have the Holy Spirit whisper to you, you've done a lovely, beautiful thing for me today? Well, you can. You can. Here we are still talking about this lady because she was extravagant in her devotion to Jesus. She was spiritually aware. She understood the times. And finally, for my third point, and really this is my title. I just kind of saved it for now so that you kind of wouldn't get the point ahead of me getting there. But if you like, this is my title. She did what she could with what she had. Say after me. She did what she could with what she had. Jesus says in verse 8, she has done what she could. And literally it says what she had, she did, if you were trying to translate it back. What she had, she did. She did what she could with what she had. Now, God doesn't hold you responsible for what you don't have. He's not going to hold you responsible for what you don't have. Because he can do that bit. That's what he's good at. He's good at the bit that you can't do and that you don't have. He kind of specializes in the can't do and don't have bit. But he does want you to do what you can do with what you do have. That's what he's looking for. Okay? He's the miracle worker. He does the can't. But we have to do the can. And that's what this lady did. That's what Mary did. He wants us to do what we can with what we have. You can look through your Bible, you know, maybe you'll be thinking about this in the week a little bit, and you could probably think of loads of examples of people who just gave what they had to Jesus, and he turned it into something miraculous, whether it's the boy with the loaves and fishes, Moses with his staff that turned into the snake in front of Pharaoh. You could think of loads of examples. And the thing those people all had in common is that they gave what they had. They did what they could. And then Jesus did the rest. And when we make ourselves totally available to God, the same thing happens for us. He turns our ordinary old me-ness into something amazing. He turns our just little old me or whatever into something powerful, 
if we give him what we can and we do what we can with what we have, he will take it and do the amazing part. What have you got that God can use? What have we got that God can use? You don't have to answer out loud, but I'm looking around the room. We've all got Mary's waving two hands at me. We've all got hands. We've all got breath in our bodies, a heart beating in us, and a mouth and a brain. And we've, you know, we, we start at that baseline. We've all got that that we can offer God. And, you know, maybe you've got finances you can offer God or time that you can offer God. But it's our heart that is what he's really after his offering. Because if we offer our heart, the other things will really follow. Some people think like this. And, and uh, I kind of felt convicted of myself, convicted myself of it once, but many, many years ago. And I hope that um, I surrendered it to God. And I'm sure I have to keep doing it. But some people think, when this, then that. Catch yourself. If you ever hear yourself doing a when, then kind of let a little red light flash in your brain and think, why am I saying that? Some people say, when I found my life partner, when I bought my first home, then I'll serve God really properly. Then I'll develop my ministry. Listen, you understand, it's not just pastors that have a ministry, don't you? I hope we preach that enough from this church. Every one of you has got a unique purpose, a unique ministry to develop for the Lord that only you can do. If you don't do it, no one else is going to do it. And whatever shape it looks and however that comes out, and it's not going to be, you shouldn't be comparing yourself to other people. You've only got to compare yourself to the person that God wants you to become and the person that he sees you being. That's who to compare yourself with. Don't compare yourself to who you were yesterday. Don't compare yourself to who you were last year. Compare yourself to the person that God sees you can be in your future. That's the person to hold up there. Okay? And he has a unique purpose for every one of us in this room. He has a ministry for every one of us. And I want to tell you that if you think when, then like that, there'll always be a when in your life. I promise. There will always be a when. Do you follow? You know, some people, well, when the kids are older and they're sleeping better, then I'll serve God more fully. When I've just done enough extra weekend shifts to buy the, uh, replace the car, then I'll, I'll stop working extra and come to church on Sundays or whatever. When I've just got this extra qualification that I need for work and I don't have to study quite so much, then I'll start my cell and serve God more fully. When I'm retired, then I'll have the time. When I'm dead, no, seriously, you know. (laughs) Richard always used to say to us, you can sleep when you're dead, mum. He was all heart. (laughs) I'm tired, you can sleep when you're dead. (laughs) Anyway, listen, there will always be a when if you think like that. And here's why. Because when, you've got to listen, if you've sort of gone to sleep, listen to this. When is not about your circumstances. When is about your heart. Okay? It's not about what's going on in your life. You're always going to have stuff going on in your life. When is about your heart. Don't, Don't let's waste our lives. Don't let's, you know have regrets that we didn't do what we could with what we have. Because I think that's God's call to us today. Do what you can with what you have. Every day, don't wait for a special day. Don't wait for a celebration birthday or Christmas or something like that. Do what you can with what you have, even this afternoon, tomorrow, the next day, the next day. And it will be a beautiful thing in his sight. That's what was beautiful. I'm sure it smelt wonderful, and I'm sure the people sitting in this area of the auditorium can kind of say amen to the beautiful fragrance that Mary released. But the real beautiful thing was that she did what she could with what she had. And that's why we're remembering her and discussing her today. Listen, we're not remembering her because she laid hands on people and raised people from the dead. That's not what she did. We're not remembering her because she prayed for a great line of people for healing and they all got healed. She didn't do an amazing miracle. 
she just did what she could with what she had. She didn't do anything spectacular in some senses. She wasn't trying to impress anybody. We're remembering her because she did a beautiful thing for Jesus. She did what she could with what she had. And if Jesus says that we're going to be remembering her and discussing her all this time on, he obviously wants her actions to impact our lives too. He wants us to remember her. He wants us to discuss her. He wants us to think about it. And he's looking for people like her in our generation. He's looking for people like her in our generation. And you don't have to be a lady to be a Mary. This isn't just for the ladies. Actually, there is a male equivalent of Mary. Do you know what it is? I looked it up. I thought, there must be a male equivalent of Mary. Do you know what it is? Come on, Clive, you must know. Wow. Somebody very famous male was called it, and they changed it. It's Marion. She's right. Who was called Marion before they changed their name? John Wayne. Who said that? Yo, he's the man. That was John Wayne's name, Marion. Marion is the male equivalent of Mary, but I'm digressing here. So if you, you can be a Mary or a Marion or whatever you want to be today. This woman has an inheritance in the world today, and you and I. I don't know that Mary ever got married. I don't know that she ever had her own children. I don't think she did, but we are her legacy. If she gave that perfume that maybe would have been her dowry to Jesus, then we are her legacy. She's blessed us. We're her. Every time we behave like she did in selflessly just doing what we can with what we have, then we're her inheritance, if you like. So to be a Mary or a Mariam or whatever you want to be, you've just got to be extravagant in your love for Jesus, not care what people think of you. You've just got to walk through every day in your life with your spiritual eyes open and your ears open and your heart soft, available to serve him. And you've just got to do what you can with what you've got day by day. To see God's kingdom extended on this earth and in the lives of others. Amen? Amen. I would love to pray for you if you want to be that kind of person. If you want to be like this woman in your life today and you want to offer yourself to God this morning to use you in whatever way he wants, why don't you stand up and let me pray for you? You really don't have to. Because God will take you seriously if you stand up. And he will see you standing up. What he's really looking for, we're standing up as a sign of what's going on in our heart. Why don't we pray? Lord, I thank you for this woman. I thank you for Mary. I thank you for the wonderful example that she is to us this day, Lord. I thank you that we can remember her, we can talk about her, and we can catch hold of your heart for us in this passage. Lord, today I pray you would break down all fear of man in us, Lord. Take it away from us, Lord. We surrender it to you. We are not going to be conquered by the fear of man. We are not going to be ruled by what people think of us. Why don't you just begin to call out to God and tell him that yourself now, that you're not going to be controlled by what other people think. Lord, I pray you would set us free from the fear of man, Lord. It's a snare in our lives. We want to be like Mary. We want to be extravagant in our devotion to you, Lord. We want to follow you wholeheartedly. We don't want to... Think about what other people will think of us, Lord. What is our reputation? Lord, you emptied all of your reputation for us, Lord. You surrendered everything that we might be saved and bought with your blood. And Lord, I pray, 
God, that you would conquer that in us because we, Lord, we're your sons and daughters. And in that sense, it doesn't matter what anyone thinks of us except our Heavenly Father. And so, Lord, we say, give us that heart of devotion to you today, Lord. Give us that heart of devotion that we would be extravagant in following you. Why don't we just say together, I I want to be extravagant in following Jesus. I want to just... However you want to say it, Lord, I want to be extravagant in following you. I don't want to hold back. I want you to really, Lord, I I just want to have that first love for you every day, Jesus. I want that first love to be there in the morning, to be there at lunchtime, to be there in the evening. I want to have that heart of willingness, Lord, toward you. And Father, oh, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that. Mary had ears open and eyes open. She was able to discern the time that she was in, Lord. She took the opportunity that she had. Lord, make us like that, I pray. Make us bold for you. May we see with your eyes. May we hear with your ears. And Lord, may we go with your hands and feet too, Lord Jesus, I pray. And then finally, I just want to pray for us. Lord, as I'm praying, why don't you just offer yourself to God again this morning, Lord? You, you, Jesus says that's what he's looking for in a sense. He's looking for our hearts. He doesn't look on the outside of us. He doesn't look at how we're dressed or how we speak or what our hair's like or anything like that. He looks at our hearts. And Lord, today we make our hearts available to you. Lord, we want to be surrendered to you. We want you to take all of us, Lord. We don't want to have bits that we shut you out of. We don't want to have bits that you can't use. We don't want to be when-then people. We want to be now people. We want to be now you can use me, Lord. Now, here I am, send me, Lord. May that be our prayer every day this week, that we would wake up and say, here I am, Lord, send me. And we will do what we can with what we have to honor you to love you to bless you to lift your name up high in this earth to serve you to follow you and to extend your kingdom and the love of Jesus in the lives of the people that you put across our path give us faith-filled eyes even this afternoon I pray Lord faith-filled eyes eyes to understand who we serve and that Lord you can use us in any way that you want to do. Lord we pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.